Father, again, we just thank you for this opportunity. We could never be thankful enough to get to worship you. We don't deserve to get to worship you every day. We don't deserve the opportunity to have a word that tells us about you. We deserve absolutely nothing from you, and yet you've given us everything that we need. Father, we pray tonight that as we learn more about you, as we learn more about your character and who you are, and specifically your glory that you've shown to us and shown to the world, that it would have us, to, or that it would make us have a greater appreciation for you, that it would help us to love you more, that your word would pierce our heart so deep that we can never be the same, that we are forever changed because of what your spirit shows us tonight and as we go throughout the rest of this series. Again, we thank you. We thank you for your son, that he died for us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so again, thank you for being here, and um, anyone who's maybe watching on the live stream, we're excited just that you're tuned in with us. Um, I know everybody's got a busy schedule, everybody's got things to do, but um, it's, a, it's special to get to come in here together. Um, we're going to be starting a new series um, just that we're going to just call Glory. And um, this series, I don't know how many weeks it's going to go on, but what we're going to do tonight, all we're going to do is kind of have an introductory message to the series. We'll kind of, kind of explain what Glory is, um, and then... Um, the weeks to come, we're going to have some messages where we talk about ways in Scripture that God shows His unique, divine glory through His Word. And so, the first thing I'm going to do before I start is I want to kind of reference you some material that would help you to understand this better. I only have a couple minutes, and glory, there's no way to fully ever wrap your head around it. If you had all the time in the world for the rest of your life, you couldn't... You know, you couldn't wrap your head around it, but there's some things that you can watch, some books that you can read that will better help you understand, and these are just some of the material that I know of, but um, first of all, and this is not a joke, this is not sarcasm, read this, because any good, truthful video, uh, book, anything that you could dive into, if it's truthful, it comes from this. It starts here, and you need to validate anything you read or see, anything that I say or Kenny says or Don or Cassidy or anybody that comes up here and talks. You need to validate what we say. You do not need to take our word for it because we are people, and we are sinful, and even with the best intentions, we tend to screw things up, as we'll talk about. The next thing is there's a, a sermon by um, Pastor Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and the sermon is called God is for God. He did it about five years ago at a conference called the Code Orange Revival, um, and it's very good. I recommend that to you. And then there's two books, the first being um, Reading the Bible Supernaturally by Dr. John Piper, and the second being um, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Um, I just recommend that stuff to you because this glory is something I think we tend to misunderstand or, or just not understand at all. We read it, and we read it, but we we don't really understand what it says. I imagine a lot of you, if I asked you, okay, what's your definition for glory, you would have to look it up on your phone. You couldn't really give me a straight definition, and that's okay. That's why we're going over this. It's very important that we understand. And so what I want us to do tonight is answer a few questions, the first being what is glory? Just a practical definition of it um, from the Bible. Then next, what is its importance? 
Third, how is it portrayed in the Bible? How is it shown to us in the Bible? And fourth, how should that, how it's portrayed in the Bible, affect how we read the Bible? Because how we read the Bible affects how we see God, and how we see God affects our relationship with Him. And actually, that fourth book that I referenced to you, Knowledge of the Holy, it says it, I believe, on the first page, and then kind of just explains it throughout the book. But the point of that book is that the most important thing about any one of us is how we see God, because that affects everything else about us. How you see God affects your relationship with Him, and that can be the difference between spending eternity with Him in His glory, in His holiness, and spending eternity apart from Him. And that's not something we should be playing with. And so, glory. Okay, when we, when we say the word glory, if we're going by basic dictionary definition, if you look it up, the definition is high renown or honor won by achievements, magnificence, or great beauty. And that's pretty good, but I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to say this. Biblically, when you see the word glory, when it's talking about God's glory, what that means is it is God's holiness put on display. To be holy is to be set apart. When talking about God, it's to be set apart in a divine way. So it's to be set apart in a way that is incompatible or incomparable with anything else. Nothing about us compares to God. It, it's so, we are so dumbed down and so small compared to God's infinite glory that there's no, there's no actual comparison. He is holy. And so his glory is is his holiness put on display. So an example of that would be at sunset when you look outside and the sun is that really pretty kind of dark orange, almost red color, and then the sky's that way and it fades into that darker blue and it looks beautiful. That's God's glory. That's his holiness put on display. And he shows us his glory through his creation, through us, through a skyline through any other type of, of thing that he's created, he shows us his glory. And so what is the practical importance to us of his glory now that we've defined it? What does it do for us? Why should it matter? What it does is it authenticates, and it authenticates four things. The first thing it authenticates is the creator. And these, these four things, just by the way, they're all over scripture, but I'm taking... One verse for each one of them because we really don't have the time to go through it, okay? When I say it authenticates the Creator, the verse I take that from is Psalm 19.1 where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's kind of what we just talked about. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims. It shouts out his handiwork. It reveals to us that no one else can do what he can do. No one else can be what he is. Secondly, it authenticates Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that comes from Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the radiance of the glory of God. It's not... It's not saying that the glory that he has makes him shine. It's almost saying when, when God's glory shines, Jesus is the, is the radiance that is shining. He's the glow. He is the exact imprint, the exact replica of God's nature. Thirdly, it authenticates the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 
4 says, In their case, meaning unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the gospel, meaning the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, and what that means for us, that our sins can now be forgiven and we don't have to have what we deserve, which is eternal damnation. That's the gospel. It authenticates the gospel because it says it keeps them, the, the God of this world keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel, the light in this dark world of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Fourthly, it authenticates scripture. This is 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you, so your joy may be complete. It doesn't use the word glory, okay? But not everywhere in Scripture does. But we know that everywhere in Scripture points to God's glory. So this is glory in concept. It's glory in its theme. And what John is saying right here, writing this, is that he... And all other authors of Scripture have written Scripture through guidance from the Holy Spirit so that we may see the glory in Christ, in God, that they have seen. It authenticates that Scripture. Okay? Great. Where do we see that? Where do we see glory in Scripture? How is it portrayed in Scripture? And these aren't going to be on the screen. I'm going to be moving through them quickly. But we're just going to look at a couple of examples, okay? 1 Samuel 12, it says it glorified God to make Israel his people even despite their wickedness. 2 Samuel 7, God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his own name. Not because they're awesome, because he's awesome. Psalm 106, God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone whom he saves and appoints a place in his kingdom, he does so for his glory. Isaiah 49, he tells Isaiah he has made him his servant. Because Isaiah is the one, quote, in whom I will be glorified for his glory. Ezekiel 20, 9 and 10, background real quick. What we see all throughout the Old Testament is God makes Israel his people. They worship him for a little while. Then they become idolatrous and they fall into sexual immorality and all of these things that we're surprised are in our world today. But they were there 5,000 5, years ago. I don't know why we don't just read it. Um, but it's all throughout, okay, and then they're led into captivity. They call out to God. He saves them and brings them back, and the cycle continues all over again. So any wrath he could have towards them would be totally just. They deserve it. But we see in Ezekiel 20, 9 and 10, instead of pouring out his wrath on Israel, he redeemed them and led them out of captivity for his own glory. We see the same thing later, 16 chapter, or we see the same thing 16 chapters later um, in Ezekiel 36, where he has a higher regard for his glory than the just wrath he could have for them. So instead of giving them over to that wrath, he vindicates them and he redeems them. Think about that. He has a higher regard for his glory than for their just wrath. Let that sink in, okay? Habakkuk 2, 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. I don't know if you've been to the beach lately. There's a lot of water there, okay? So when it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, that means there's not going to be any holes anywhere. That's how big his glory is. That's how magnificent his glory is. We see in Matthew 5, 16, 
1 Peter 2.12 and 1 Peter 4, that whole chapter, that anytime we act honorably or in a trustworthy way, we should do so so that God be glorified. If we're doing it so that we can look like a good person, then we and everybody that sees us as a good person are going to go to hell thinking we're a good person. John chapters 12 and 17, we see that Jesus died so that he may be glorified. Think about that. He died so that he may be glorified. And through him being glorified, the Father is also glorified. John 14, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us in glorifying him because we cannot do it on our own. Without him, we are dead in our sin and we are hopeless. Romans 11, everything that happens does so for the continual glorification of God. That one trips up people. That's where you get questions like, how could a good God do fill in the blank? But if everything happens for the glorification of God, we should come to understand that there's no holes in that anywhere. There's no one moment where God is not glorified. And so everything that happens must happen according to his will if he is continually and eternally glorified. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Maybe y'all are better than me. I'm not usually eating my Cheerios in the morning thinking, how can I glorify God? But it tells us we should. We should do everything to glorify God. And last, I know y'all are getting tired of me. But the last thing, 2 Thessalonians 1, when Christ returns, he will be glorified in his saints who have remained faithful. That's just a couple of specific examples, but... Glory is a theme that is everywhere in Scripture. It's everywhere. If we don't see it, we're missing the point. And so, it, it, okay, I'm going to go on the wrong page. I wasn't going to, but I'll make it short. I don't get on Facebook all the time, but occasionally I do, and I did a couple of days ago. It was a mistake. And it's the New Year, so everybody's making their New Year's resolutions, right? And a lot of people, the New Year's resolution is that they are going to find their worth. They're going to learn how to love themselves more. And they are going to cut everyone out of their life who doesn't give them the respect that they deserve. Because that's, they deserve respect. We all deserve respect, right? We're people. God loves us. He's removed our sin, and so we deserve respect, and we deserve to be treated like we're worthy because we are worthy. No, we're not. We deserve hell. That's it. We don't deserve respect. We don't. Anything good you have in your life, you don't deserve it. I don't either. But the reason we tend to believe that is we read the Bible, and, and this is kind of the point I'm trying to make is, we read the Bible like it's about us, and it's not. We read the Bible like it's a roadmap for how we're supposed to live our life, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's garbage. There's commandments. It does show us things that we can do to glorify the Father and things that if we do them, we will not glorify the Father. That's in there, and those are good things. There's a reason he put those in there. But it's not in there, so we're supposed to figure out how we can do it. It's in there to show us that we can't do it. And we need Jesus. And so the point is that the Bible is not about us. And, and when we read the Bible about us, we end up having moments where we read, for example, 
David and Goliath, and we are David, and our Goliath is the boss or the co-worker that we can't stand. It's the job we don't like. It's the debt that we're in from college. It's the spouse or the ex that's making our lives miserable. It's this and that. And God gives us the stones. We throw God in there so it makes us feel good because God's in there. But God gives us the stones, and we fling them, we knock down our giant, and then we say thank you, and we go on about our business. And that's never the way. It was never written to be read that way. The way it should be read is that Jesus is the greater David who defeated the greater Goliath, which even though Goliath seemed undefeatable to the Israelites, what's truly undefeatable is sin and death. But the greater David defeated that anyways, and we are actually the army of Israel who's like hiding in the bushes, shaking in our boots. That's the way that should be read. But we have this mentality that it's a roadmap, it's about us, and so we infuse ourselves into the stories, making ourselves the heroes and ourselves the good guys. And that's never been the point. That's never supposed to be the point. The point of Scripture is to show the glory of God. He is the greater Adam, who is the firstborn of all creation, but unlike Adam, he never sinned, and so he kept the original covenant with God. He's the greater Noah, who when God saved humanity physically from destruction through Noah, he saved humanity eternally and spiritually from destruction through Jesus. He's the greater David, who didn't commit adultery and murder his best friend, who is the king that eternally sits on the throne and rules with all wisdom and power. The point of scripture is to show us that he is the greater everything. It's not about us. And that was short but long at the same time, so I'm almost done, I promise. All right. The final, the final point, I guess, all this wrapped up, is that God's glory, showing his glory to us is the purpose of his word, and it's the purpose of creation that we will reciprocate his glory back to him that he may be glorified. It's not about us. And so as we go through this series and we look at different examples of his divine and unique glory in his word, we've got to throw out any ideas that part of that has to do with us. If anything, if anything, we're trying to get in the way. Because what scripture makes known to us, especially if you read the Old Testament, is that instead of being the hero, generally, more than not, we're kind of morons. That's harsh, but I, I know me. I'm a moron, okay? We just are. I mean, you can, you can read anywhere in the Bible and see that there's somebody messing something up somewhere, and God has to swoop in and do his thing. And so I just want to read one more thing, and I want you to see why his glory is such an important thing for us to understand and grasp. This is Revelation 21, verse 23. It's talking about when the old heavens and earth have passed away. He's brought the new heavens and the new earth. And this is talking about the new city of Jerusalem. And it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's why it's important for us to get this. The same way... That the sun up in the sky today gives us warmth and light and it sustains us and it sustains the things that we have for food 
and it's our greatest source of life, think about this. In the new Jerusalem, we won't even need it. God's going to go, you can leave that with the old stone. Because his glory is so great that it's going to be everything that sustains us. That's why we have to understand this. We have to. It's not something we can brush off. It's so important. His glory is not something that we are supposed to reciprocate to him. It's not something that we are supposed to see or that he recommends that we see in his creation if we feel like it or if we're kind of low. It is our source of spiritual life is his glory. It's where we see who he is. It's where we see his holiness because it is his holiness on display. And so I imagine many of you, your entire lives, you've, if you've been reading this, you've been reading this, putting yourself in the place of the hero. As I did for so long. And if we've done that, what we need to do right now is we need to come here or you need to sit in your seat or you need to, if you want to stand in your seat, you can go anywhere, it doesn't matter. You need to pray, first of all, that God will forgive you. And second of all, you need to pray that he will, in your mind, remove you out of the narrative. And he will replace that hole that was filled with you with the vision of his glory. Because you don't need you, you need him. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your glory that we can see all throughout it. And for your creation that you've shown to us that we can, again, see your glory all throughout creation. If we would just open our eyes, we don't have to look very far. We don't have to look hard and in, you know, the corners of alleys. We can see it as soon as we walk out the door. We can see it in the faces in this room that we look at. Your glory is everywhere. But Lord, don't allow us to get in our own way. Don't allow us to make it about us. Remove that hardness of heart that is in us and give us a heart that is attuned to seeing your glory in every part of our lives. Because we don't need us, we need you. Thank you for your word and the life that it gives. And I pray that continue to pierce our hearts throughout this series every day as, as we walk with you individually that we will seek your glory and not ourselves. We pray these things in your name.